Born on a mountaintop in Tennessee Greenest state in the land of the free Raised in the woods so he knew every tree Killed him a bar when he was only three Davy, Davy Crockett Robbers blew into town. Theodore. Hi, Frank. Then they blew it up. In Walt Disney Productions' new screen comedy, The Apple Dumpling Gang. See Tim Conway and Don Knotts in The Apple Dumpling Gang. Ready? Welcome everyone to a dessert-rific episode of Be Kind Rewind. This is your Disney Plus movie podcast. I, of course, am Dan Teets. And with me, once again... I'm Kyra Hawkins. Greetings, Kyra. Are we ready to talk apple dumplings? Well, I didn't know this was a cooking show, but yeah, sure. (laughs) Okay, well first you take your (laughs) apples... (laughs) I don't even know what an apple dumpling is, but, um, Oh my gosh. I mean, like it's fall. It's like baking season. I'm probably going to have to go to Pinterest after this and (laughs) figure it out and make some because it sounds good. See, and growing up, apple dumplings was something that my mom made. We had two golden delicious and one red delicious apple tree in our backyard along with a peach and a Bartlett pear tree. So we had fresh fruit from probably September until at least middle of October and then it just transitioned into our basement where we could pull out an apple wherever we wanted to. But she would make the best apple dumplings and I don't know if that kind of swayed where I was loving the movie The Apple Dumpling Gang, which surprisingly they are served apple dumplings during. But yeah, this is not a cooking show. <laughs> it would make for a very interesting audio podcast because you wouldn't be able to see what we were doing while we were discussing it. That would be kind of fun, though. Yeah. Um. Oh, man, this is like a tangent, but like, um, I just thought of the um, SNL sketch, The Delicious Dish. Um, oh, my goodness. Is that the Shorty Balls? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> There's like a couple different um, iterations of that mm-hmm. sketch that they did, but yeah. They're like, this is The Delicious Dish and how they talk so <laughs> soft and. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yes. I've been Welcome. totally that podcast i guess i'm glad we're not doing that but i was like thinking of that when you said that how interesting it would be to cook on this show and try to describe it it's i'm sure it's been done welcome everyone to be kind rewind this is your disney plus movie podcast and we're on npr (laughs) so (laughs) this episode has already gone off the rails and i love it it's my fault 
No, it's not. It's because, like, okay, as soon as I started this movie and there was a man on a horse, like, <laughs> riding the horse next to the water with mountains in the background, I was instantly like, I'm not going to stay awake for this. <laughs> and did you stay awake, Kara? No Barely. comment. No, like I told you before we recorded, I had to restart this movie like three times, um, which I would think usually would be like, that's that's a bad omen. But um, I actually felt pretty good about this once I was able to kind of get into it. Well, the movie itself was released on July the 1st, 1975. I was a wee lad of four months old. Surprisingly, it only did $13.5 million in the initial release, which that I don't understand with Don Knotts having been on Andy Griffith for 38 years or however long that show ran, and then Tim Conway, who was coming to into his own on the Carol Burnett show. I would have thought there would have been more people going to the box office or going to the movie theaters, not the box office. But I wonder, like, why. I wonder if it was just, like... I don't know. I wonder if it was advertising or if it just people weren't that excited. Well, and see, that's I I can't figure it out because this is the first of at least three Don Knotts movies that we will be covering over the next probably three to four months. Because there's this one, there's Gus, and there's the Apple Dumpling Gang Rides again. So I don't know if Don Knotts was trying to get a second wind as a comedy actor and he came into this and then he went from this to playing Mr. Roper on Three's Company, which is a totally different kind of role for him. <laughs> but whatever the case was, this one, if you translated it into today's dollars, it is $74.5 million. Still not bad. It's, I think, the box office reasoning is if it makes a time and a half more than what it actually cost to make it's worthy of a sequel or it's a box office um success and i'm actually pulling up the wikipedia now to see how much it cost to actually make this because it actually started listing that on there as well of course now this one doesn't have man i like when they have budget numbers on there yeah but I watched the apples out of this. Anytime that it was on, I was watching it. I don't know if it was because I was going through my Western phase at that point in time. <laughs> or if it was because it had three cute kids, one of which didn't want to be touched. Or what. But it, anytime that I saw that it was on, I was watching it. If there wasn't a football or a baseball or golf on. Because then Dad would be watching that. So you've loved this movie like your whole life. Yes. This, this, is, this is actually the, I want to say like the third or fourth movie that I remember watching growing up. Because I, did, I didn't have a VCR. We only had CBS, ABC, NBC, and Fox whenever it started. So we didn't have cable because we were too far out in the boonies to be able to get that and my parents actually didn't even get a satellite dish until i went off to college in 95 so they were very late adopters of all things newfangled that's kind of how i grew up um 
we were like far enough outside of city limits that you couldn't get cable. Um, we didn't get satellite until um, like 2000, 2001, maybe. Okay. I, I think I had graduated high school. Um, we got internet like while I was a student in high school, but yeah, it was it was kind of like that. Um, so I, I guess I just bring that up. To, we grew we grew up kind of similarly, <laughs> um, but I had never heard of or seen this movie. Um, well, I say that. I didn't know about this movie until I started doing this podcast (laughs) and it started throwing in as, as a suggestion. And, um, I didn't like really look at it. I just thought, Oh, I don't know how I feel about that. Like that's a weird name for a movie. Um, but I knew we'd get to it eventually. And the day has come. And this will be the last episode that Kyra is allowed on because she was not a fan of Be Kind. She, yeah, she was not a fan of the show. She was not a fan of the Apple Dumpling Gang. I kid, I kid. Whoa, okay. <laughs> I am not prepared to take this this podcast on all by myself. So, all right. So the synopsis, which comes to us care of Wikipedia goes a little something like this. Set in the Old West in the year 1879, a slick gambler named Russell Donovan comes to the town of Quake City en route to open a casino in New Orleans. In Quake City, Donovan meets his old associate, John Wintle. Wintle is leaving for San Francisco that night and asks Donovan to sign for valuables coming in on tomorrow's stagecoach. Donovan accepts a down payment and promises to pick up the value. The next day, Donovan reveals that he has been duped, or he realizes that he has been duped into taking care of three little orphans named Bobby, Clovis, and Celia Bradley. The stage note, the stagecoach driver of Magnolia, Dusty Clydesdale, explains that Wintle is in fact the children's relative and, and thus their de facto legal guardian. With their relative gone and Donovan promising to care for the valuables, they are now wards of Donovan. The town sheriff, barber, justice of the peace, and judge, Homer McCoy, tells Donovan that he is legally obligated unless he can find somebody else to take care of the children. The children inadvertently cause Donovan much grief by offending all prospective new guardians. The Bradleys wreak havoc in Quake City, while riding in an old mine cart, destroying much private property. The town citizens demand that Donovan pay for the damage, losing him most of the funds for his trip to New Orleans. As soon as Donovan arrived in Quake City, he is the target of the Hash Knife outfit. The outfit consists of two ne'er-do-well former members of the Stillwell Gang, Amos Tucker and Theodore Ogilvy. They were once very threatening until they were ousted by their former boss, Frank Stillwell, for shooting him in the leg. Amos and Theodore continually try to rob Donovan during his stay to miserable results. Bobby, Clovis, and Celia decide to help their guardian make money by going to the old mine that they inherited. They come across Amos and Theodore at their hideout and become acquainted. They direct the kids to the mine after mistaking them for a posse. Despite the gold va- gold veins drying up years previously, the Bradley children end up finding a massive gold nugget. This incentivizes many ch- many people to want to adopt the children as it would give them access to the gold. 
fearing that the people would not have the children's best interests at heart. Donovan has arranged a sham marriage with Dusty so she can keep custody of the Bradley children while he goes to New Orleans. However, things become complicated when Wintel returns. Wintel has heard of the gold and schemes to get the children back. His attorney has a court order demanding immediate return of the Bradley. McCoy is forced to, hear, to adhere to the demands. At the same time, Amos and Theodore attempt to steal the Bradley's gold from the local bank and escape to Mexico. The hash knife outfit proves unsuccessful when they try to enter the skyline and wrap themselves up in their rope before repelling down. McCoy finds them guilty of attempted robbery and sentences them to hang to scare them out of town, and the two flee to their hideout. The Stillwell gang enters town and plans to steal the nugget as well. Frank impersonates a priest to gain more information about the transportation of the gold from Colonel T.R. Clydesdale. Frank is able to coerce Colonel Clydesdale into disclosing the time and place that the nugget will be moved. The children, who have grown attached to Donovan and Dusty, go to Theodore and Amos and give them permission to steal the gold. If the gold goes missing, Wintel will have no more desire for the children and will return their custody. The next day, the Stillwell gang enters the bank and takes the nugget. Simultaneously, the kids help the hash knife outfit rob the bank. Amos and Theodore are recognized by Frank and are almost killed. They are saved when one of the Stillwell gang starts a shootout with a lawman and distracts Frank. Frank decides to leave the Golden Escape, taking Celia as a hostage. Donovan saves her from Stillwell with the help of Dusty, and they soon realize their love for each other and embrace. Amos and Theodore retreat to the bank safe to escape gunfire. Their dynamite is shot by one of the townsfolk, obliterating the bank, and the gold nugget gets blown into many smaller nuggets. Wintel renounces his guardianship and leaves town. Stillwell's bounty is awarded to Donovan, giving him enough money for his casino in New Orleans. But he instead buys a ranch for himself, Dusty, and the children. While on their way to the ranch, a reformed Amos and Theodore catch up with a newfound family asking to work as farmhands, to which Donovan agrees. The end. So we know what my thoughts are on this. What were your initial thoughts after you woke up from your 15-hour nap from falling asleep on the Apple Dumpling Gang? Listen, I'm taking medication that is making me more sleepy. But, like, I'm not joking when I say, like, as soon as I saw the dude on the horse in the water in the mountains, I was like, oh, no, I'm in trouble. (laughs) Um, But... Um, so I did have to restart it a couple times, like just distracted, sleepy, whatever. Um, but once I like finally started getting into it, I, um, was like, okay, yeah, this is cute. Okay. Like if you were like filming my reaction to watching this, it would have just been a lot of nodding and like, yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. Sure. (laughs) And then like something funny would happen and I would finally like, oh, okay, this is cute. This is really fun. Alright, so as Kyra has noted, the movie starts with a man riding in on a horse through a Old West town, which is set in the 1870s, 1880s, which means it's going to be a Western, but not really. 
So that's strike one with Kyra. And I don't know if I didn't pick it up until today that the man riding on the horse was Bill Bixby. I'll go ahead and throw in the whole Disney Marvel Cinematic Universe is interconnected. Because who did Bill Bixby play for like five years? I have no idea. The Incredible Hulk. Oh, I didn't know that. See, I only know the other guy. Oh, you only knew Lou Ferrigno. The guy yeah. that was green. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, Bill Bixby is the man that is riding in on the horse. And since Disney owns the Incredible Hulk now, it's all interrelated. So, it the Hulk has actually been around for 100 <laughs> plus, 140 plus years. I he like... just. <laughs> He just didn't get exposed to gamma radiation until Indiana Jones hopped into a refrigerator in the Indiana Jones movie that we will not speak of. What a retcon you just did. It's amazing. (laughs) So he rolls into town and we find out that he is not that good of a card player. And, well, no, yeah. He actually lost everything that he had bet, and, but Tim Conway and Don Knotts follow him because he's dressed to the nines in this nice dapper suit, and so they think that he's got money. No, he's a, he's a shiftless gambler that's trying to get on a winning streak, and he moved into Quake City at the wrong time in life. The, um, like, when they see him and initially, like, rob him, or try to rob him, uh, (laughs) I feel like I should have seen it coming that, like, I mean, because it's just from the poster and, like, the images you get before you push play, like, it's pretty clear, like, they're silly, kind of, like, kind of bumbling goofballs, um, but, like, so he... They try to do their stick up, and the gun falls apart. And he's like, <laughs> "The rope doesn't go well." It's just, it's, yeah. That should have been the first indicator for me. Like, this is going to be fun. <laughs> uh, but like, then we go straight into a card game, which, again, trigger warning for me. Like, this could make you sleepy. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I missed a little bit. But I got the important information that he's new in town. Those two guys are foolish, like wannabe robbers. Mm-hmm. And he is like, ag- agrees to um, care, like pick up some valuables for someone. Yeah. And so, yeah, he's, he's sitting there. He's down to his last dollar. And this guy comes in. And starts looking for somebody to welcome the afternoon stage the next day. So that way they can he can pick up whatever quote-unquote valuables it is that is supposed to be found there. And so the Incredible Hulk agrees to take care of it for a $5 deposit. Which he promptly, which he promptly loses in the bed and so next thing that we see is a stagecoach driver and three little kids leaning out the window and 
Celia, the youngest, has to go bathroom. Again. And again. Yeah. And again. It starts like a whole running gag throughout the entire movie, which I like normally would probably be like, okay, this is dumb Um, bathroom humor. But like, she's so cute. And it does like it pops up at a couple of unexpected times, which did make me laugh. But my thing is either she has a very small bladder or she has other issues that have been undiagnosed for as long as she's been around. Yeah, get that girl to the doctor. Yeah. If you are going to the bathroom more than four times during a stagecoach ride, you may need to talk to your doctor. Find out if Wells Fargo is right for you. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, we have like three or four different times where the stagecoach has to stop. And I'm just wondering how much additional time actually got added onto that trip because of it. Because, but they make it there on time. And, well, on time considering nobody really had a watch back then, I guess. Yeah. And so Bill Bixby's standing there. He's waiting for them to, like, drop a bag of diamonds or emeralds or something. And the lady stagecoach driver, which is very progressive for the time, even very progressive now, I guess, says, well, yeah, the valuables are right behind you. And so he starts looking around the kids, not realizing that they're what he has to pick up. And I actually wrote down, is it normal procedure to put a tag on a child just to ship them cross country? Well. Or was that part of the joke? I didn't even catch that they had tags on them. Yeah, all three of them had, like, the the tags that you would put on your Christmas packages that could say, To Bobby from Sue. Oh. <laughs> and now you're seeing it, right? Yeah, I just saw it. I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, that's, okay, that's funny. Yeah. And so, as per usual, Celia has to go to the bathroom, and the... Justice of the Peace slash Judge slash Sheriff slash Barber says, well, you can take the guy's place that just left because he didn't want to be stuck with three kids. And Celia's doing the pee-pee dance. And I'm sorry, we're, we're getting into toilet humor at like seven minutes into the episode. And so they somehow make it to the, to the house and all's fine until it starts raining. And I can't remember if this was the first time that we found out that Clovis don't like to be touched. Yes. No, no, no. I think he touches him when he's, like, picking him up or something. Well, maybe not. But, yeah, this is the line, Clovis don't like to be touched. Yeah. And that's and that's another running gag throughout the rest of the episode. Or the rest of the movie. And so they get to the house. And of course it's what you would expect from a bum that pays somebody $5 to take care of three kids. And doesn't let them know, oh by the way it's going to be kids, not diamonds and emeralds that I'm coming back to. Or not coming back to pick up. Because everywhere they look, when the storm comes up, there is either a bucket or a pan 
or something to catch the dripping. And Celia gets stripped on, and she's not happy. And the lady stagecoach driver, who is nicknamed Dusty, and I didn't pick that up until they start talking about later on in the movie, well, you should just go marry Dusty. Oh, I think her name is, like, Magnolia. But, yeah, she goes by Dusty through most of the movie. Yeah. And for some reason, I missed that part. So, Dusty shows up in a jacket, a straight-up trench coat and hat, and she's got leftover son-of-a-gun stew, which, never heard of it, would kind of want to try it just to see what's in it, unless it's just beans and maybe a little bit of horse meat, I don't know. So, after all the kids are fed and down for the night... Bill Bixby and Dusty start to talk, and, and he's like, well, why don't you take them? They seem to like you. And she's like, well, they're your responsibility. He's like, no, they're not. I didn't agree to take them. And she's like, well, just stick it out for the night and then see what happens. And then Celia starts getting dripped on, and she curls up in Bill's arms, and suddenly, I don't know if his heart grew a half a size that night. Yeah. Well, a bond was formed. Yes. It's really sweet. Yeah, but then the next morning, he's out trying to pan off the kids to anybody that it, that has a man and a woman together. And, of course, hilarity ensues with all this. One time, a man touches Clovis, and we hear once again that Clovis don't like to be touched. Um, then another time, Bill Bixby starts trying to sell the idea that Celia can scrub your personal clothes. And I'm like, I don't think that's the way to go about peddling kids in the first place. But nobody takes them. And so they're walking back into town and suddenly there is a wagon that has somehow caught on fire and is being chased down the street by a horse-drawn fire carriage that is trying rather unsuccessfully to put out the fire in the stage or in the wagon. And I got confused because first of all, first of all, how does a wagon catch on fire and then just roll down the hill? I don't really remember this part at all. This must have been one of the times I blacked out. <laughs> <laughs> so, needless to say, Bill jumps up because Celia's standing in the middle of the road because she's transfixed by the fire that's going on. And the rushing stage or the rushing fire truck coming at her, and he saves her life. And once again, his heart has grown another half a size. Mm-hmm. It seems like he mostly bonds with Celia yeah. over the boys, but they're just kind of there. I think they like were really making the most out of having a cute little girl. In and so day turns to night. Bill Bixby pulls out this what looks like a diamond-studded lucky horseshoe pin that was given to him because of the affections of a woman mm-hmm. that he said. And so... He's going to go play some more cards with his last bit of money. And, of course, 
Don Knotts and Tim Conway are trying to follow him because at one point he had a good bit of money before he lost it all in a card game. And Don Knotts climbs up on top of the... I'm sorry, Tim Conway climbs up on top of the house that they're going to jump in from and he's planning on dumping this bucket of water on him. And, of course, hilarity ensues because Bill Bixby sees him and Don Knotts waves at him. Because he doesn't want to let him know that he's after him. Yeah. So, like, this scene made me laugh so much because he's like, when you see him, uh, they're using, like, bird sounds to alert each other or something. <laughs> he's like, I'll be the owl. And he's like, hoo-hoo. And then he, the other, uh, Tim Conway, um, who's Amos, I think. I think so, I, I, yeah. I kept getting the, the names confused, but it's Theodore and Amos, whatever. Um, but he, he's like, I'll do this other bird and like, does like a bird call and <laughs> through the whole scene. Um, Don Knotts is trying to alert the other one and he's like, hoo hoo. And he just gets more and more aggressive with his owl mimicking. Just this, um, it's super funny. Yeah. And as per usual, they can't rob Bill Bixby and somehow Tim Conway ends up dumping the bucket of water that was intended for Bill Bixby on top of Don Knotts, and Don Knotts is none too happy. And so we cut to the next morning, which is surprising that Bill Bixby could have lasted that long in a poker game if he doesn't have good luck. I know. They played poker in this movie like the movie Maverick, where it's like... An all-night challenge. You better stay awake for it. Yeah, and so the next morning, the, I want to say the bank president ends up walking out with the token of the lady's affection, and Bill is ready to go home and crash for the night, or crash for the day, so he can try his luck again that night, I guess. So... It's at this point, actually, just a minute ago, like when he first went out to play poker at night, when there were two prowlers on the loose. Mm-hmm. Cause he even runs into Dusty and it's like, I think those two guys were trying to waylay me. Mm-hmm. So he knows. And he, he left the kids alone all night. And now he's going to go home and sleep while the kids are doing God knows what all day. Like, Mr. Donovan, what are you doing? Well, he didn't want the kids, so he was like, well, you just don't wake me up. Whatever you do, don't wake me up. Oh, well, and then, okay, so he's, like, lasted all night. He played that that poker game and won a lot of money. But, like, the kids had kind of accidentally destroyed a ton of property, so he, like, instantly lost it. Yeah. Um, I, I think I, I backed up a little bit because that's when he takes the, um, like, hairpin or whatever yeah. to gamble with. Okay. Now yeah, I'm so, caught up. All right. And actually, the reason why the kids were sent cross-country was because their parents were no longer with us, and they had this stake in a gold mine, and I use the term gold mine in air quotes, because Quake City doesn't have any gold, allegedly. And so, they start, they go up to the mine, but they don't go to the actual mine. They actually go to another mine, and somehow, 
a mine car comes off of the tracks and runs down and like breaks a priceless mirror, runs through a um camp for the people from the far east, shall we say, without being Well, I think we can say Chinese because um, in the captions, it says man speaking Chinese. Okay. Um, Whether they were actually Chinese people or not, I mean, we didn't get a content warning, but they were on screen for literally (laughs) two seconds. So um, this is actually something that made me think of Bullwhip Griffin because we've seen a Chinese camp near a uh, mining town before, and it was a different one. But I had, like, it caught my attention. It was like, oh, wouldn't it be funny if this was, like, in the same universe as Bullwhip Griffin and also the Love Bug, which ran yeah. through the Bullwhip Griffin town. So and I don't think they're really connected, but it, it caught my attention. It made me laugh. and made yeah. me wish that this city was called something else. Yeah, and so... They cause all kinds of destruction, and Mr. Donovan has actually come into a good amount of money that he promptly loses because he is the guardian of these children who have pretty much destroyed Quake City. So, this is where he goes out with this token of a woman's affection, and he's like, well, this is my last chance. And somehow he lasts in the poker game all night long. And the next morning, he's walking out of town. The kids are walking into town. And they're like, well, we're just going to go start digging. And he's like, all right, well, just don't wake me up unless you <laughs> find something. And so the kids are dressed in what is probably their only set of clothes. And, of course, the city lives up to its name. There's an earthquake. And they somehow get trapped in their mine, but not before their mine find, comes up and exposes a $87,000 gold nugget. I'm glad that you had that number because, like, I couldn't remember. And so... Mystery of mysteries, somehow the kids get found. All that we know is it goes from them being trapped in this mine with no way out to suddenly the town has found this gold nugget and the kids, no explanation is made. And Don Knotts and Tim Conway get this bright idea that we're just going to go ahead and get the gold nugget. Yeah, we're going to rob a bank. Yeah, and I actually did some research because you know how I love to compare how much things were back then as to how much they are now. That is actually a $2.6 million nugget. So it's a tidy little sum to live on for the rest of your life. And now, all of a sudden, everybody wants to be their parent. Yeah, to the point that like women are trying, like physically fighting over... Celia, like to the point of tearing her dress. Mm-hmm. Which makes Bill Bixby's heart grow yet another half a size. Yeah, like, well, I mean, obviously he's like, ooh, now there's money because there's huge yeah. gold it. Like, it doesn't explicitly state that, but it be, it's pretty clear, like, like there's money now, mm-hmm. so he can, like, he bought the kids' clothes, he took them out for a nice dinner or whatever, um, 
And yeah, like just the, it's kind of, I like how they slowly and kind of subtly like build this bond between him and mm-hmm. the kid. It's just like little moments here and there where he's like, you can just see him softening a little more and more. Yeah. And so as this is happening, Amos and Theodore, who are being played by Don or by Tim Conway and Don Knotts respectively. So you actually did say it right. Are trying to figure out a way to rob the bank. And the first thing that they think of is, oh, well, we can just get a ladder from the firehouse. (laughs) Which, like, gets us to, like, one of the funniest scenes in the movie, Mm -hmm. which I think a lot of times I will say, this went on too long, but it was so funny that it didn't matter how long it was. Yeah, but the end... The way that they pulled it off, first of all, Tim Conway is one of the was one of the greatest physical comedians of all time. So you have him carrying one end of this ladder, and Don Knotts is carrying the other end of this ladder, and without knowing it, they fully extend the ladder. And so now they're trying to figure out how to get this fully extended ladder out of the firehouse. Without waking up the sleeping firemen, like, right next to them. Yeah, without waking up the sleeping firemen and not thinking, oh, well, why don't we just close it back down? Like, normal human brains would instantly think. But no, so there's like a three or four minute sketch where they're just trying to figure their way through the firehouse. And they make it through, but not before... The ladder goes through the next door, house, tenement, whatever. And so Don Knot sends Tim Conway out to figure out what's happening. And somehow he gets inside the house. And he's like, well, it went out the other window. So let's just go ahead and pull it on out. And here comes Bill Bixby sauntering down the street. And once again, there's a the physical humor with this part where you just see... Don Knotts waving at him, and Tim Conway, or it might have been the other way around, but they're waving at each at him like, oh, well, nothing to see here. Just move on. Just a couple of guys hanging out with a ladder in the in a window. Yeah. Oh, so while this is going on, um, what is the sheriff's name? He's the one from MASH. Yeah. Potter from MASH, but I can't think of his name in this movie, and I feel oh, dumb. Let me see. Um, no, I, I'm I'm horrible with names. That's why I call him Tim Conway, Bill Bixby, and it is Homer McCoy. Okay, so McCoy is like he knows that um, Donovan like is gonna have to legally adopt these kids or whatever. Um, he's like heavily suggesting or pretty much pushing him to um, like it would be a lot easier for you to secure these kids. Um, if you were married, like you could marry Dusty. Mm-hmm. And so he has sent Donovan out to um, find Dusty to propose marriage in strictly a business sense of mm-hmm. like, we're just going to do this like kind of for convenience to help these kids. Yeah. So and... he, he, that's why he's walking by. He's on his way to find Dusty to propose. And so he finds her. He has the most romantic <laughs> proposal ever. 
And but she's like upset and he's like, no, 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 I promise strictly. This is like husbandly duties. The last thing on my mind, like I don't yeah. even care. I just want to give these kids a good home. And that seems to be like the only reason she agrees to it, but there's already been hints of some like romantic tension between the two of them. Yeah. And the, the other part of that is that I think she deep down does actually care about the kids, despite the fact that she's putting on the stern face. No, I don't want anything to do with them. They're yours. But if she wouldn't have cared about them, she wouldn't have brought the son of the gun stew to them on the first. So she kind of wants them to have a good house, a good life. And Bill Bixby's thinking, oh, well, this way I can go ahead. They'll be taken care of. I can go to, I think he was going to New Orleans. Yeah, he went to New Orleans. To go ahead and get on that steamer with Burt Maverick and have fun. <laughs> and so they they end up getting married. It is pretty much the shortest marriage in recorded history. Yeah, it's cute. Like, it's funny because they're just like, do you? Yep. Do you? Yep. <laughs> Okay, you're married. You, I normally get two dollars for or two pit two bits for this, and it's like, uh, okay, beers on me. And they all run over to the they run over to the bar as men do back in the 1800s, and leave Dusty with the kids. And so she goes over to the general store and starts looking around, and lo and behold, this I guess it's a brass bed that she had been eyeing several times during the movie mm-hmm. is getting pulled out of the window and she asks who bought it and surprise surprise is donovan and this leads to one of the greatest two-person barroom brawls in the history of movies yes this was so fun like yeah. i didn't see it coming because like i had kind of in my first watch i had kind of missed like why she was so upset mm-hmm. um so i had to rewind to figure it out but yeah this like this miscommunication and misunderstanding that leads to this like it's com- she's completely unhinged because she's like i thought you didn't want to to do that you didn't want to have like do husbandly duties like <laughs> and she's like you said you were a gentleman it's just funny and he's like whoa 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 whoa, whoa. like try- he keeps trying to under like explain and she keeps refusing to let him just a lot of like physical comedy going on in here. Yeah, and come to find out the reason why he had bought the beds was actually for the kids, so he does have a heart of brass at least by mm-hmm. now because he wasn't trying to use his husbandly duties for the reason. And she's like, Oh well why didn't you say so? And I laughed at that because it's like well if you would have not kept coming at me for three quarters of the bar and have everybody ducking out of your way, I would have told you. Yeah. And so they move the beds in and we fast forward to Justice of the Peace McCoy, Judge McCoy, Barbara McCoy sitting presiding over the sprouts of win- of the Wintel's adoption. Who's going to actually get which, like, people are still fighting over these kids, and it's like, there's only, like, two people who really forged any kind of relationship with mm-hmm. them, weirdos. Yeah, 
And so he's like, well, I'm going to go ahead and render my verdict. And then who should walk in but old $5 himself. And he's like, well, these are my kids, so I'm going to go ahead and take them. I was confused about this. Did he know that they had that money, or the gold, rather? He didn't. He knew, but like everybody else in Quake City, he thought there wasn't any gold in the Mar Hills. So he just thought it was a, a busted mine like everything else. But like so, he comes back for the kids because of the gold. Yes. Okay, that's what I thought, but like I wasn't sure if it was... Like, I don't know if it ever really said that. So, uh, because, like, you kind of, it's, I don't know, he kind of is giving off vibes of, like, I'm just here because I heard they had money now. Yeah, and so he's got this highfalutin lawyer that walks in and throws down something in front of Judge McCoy. And this obviously does not make... Mr. or Judge McCoy happy about it, and he's like, "Well, I can tell you what you what I'd want to do with you, but since the law is the law, I guess I gotta let him go with you." Yeah, he knows that Wintle is like a slime bucket. <laughs> That's a good word for him. Well, I was thinking of something else, and I was like, I probably shouldn't say that, and then I got <laughs> confused about the word that I was going to say instead, and that's just what came out. I like slime bucket. <laughs> oh my gosh. And so one thing that really doesn't get brought up other than just a passing word is that Theodore and Amos used to be part of a of another gang until Amos shot the leader of the gang in the leg. Oh yeah, I think it says something about that in the beginning. Yeah. But and and that and that's all that's ever mentioned until suddenly the eighty-seven thousand dollar gold nuggets found, and the old the old gang starts wanting to rob the bank, or rob the stagecoach, or rob however they're going to get to it to get to the to get to the gold nugget. Mm-hmm. And so they side up to the, and this shows you what kind of a slime ball slime bucket the leader of the gang is he comes in playing a priest and starts trying to find out well it's going out on the four o'clock stage tomorrow and this and that and so he actually refuses a drink because he's a man of the cloth and men of the cloth didn't drink in the 1800s supposedly or he's thinking like i better stay sober for this heist But he did take the coin for the, I think, for the charity or something like that. And so they start planning it. And the next, and so the stagecoach that Dusty and her dad own was supposed to take the nugget out of town and cash it in, I guess. I don't, that really doesn't even explain but then all of a sudden the big bad guy comes into town and holds up the bank but not before Amos and Theodore try to hold up the bank and just bungle the whole thing yeah and and they bungle the whole thing and they've actually because the kids have actually gone up and told them well we want for y'all to have them cuz you're the only people that actually care about the money without caring about it and so they're like okay well we'll just go take the money 
And so they bungle what they're trying to do. And Celia gets kidnapped by the leader of the original gang. And a gunfight breaks out. And I actually have written down, does everybody in Quake City have a gun at this point? Because it's like everybody's everybody pulls out a gun and starts firing. Yeah, it's a huge gunfight. Like the whole town is involved. Yeah. And so for some I think the way that Theodore and Amos were going to rob the bank was they were going to have a thing of dynamite and just walk in and say, you give us the the um, nugget or we're going to blow the place up. Am I right on that? Yeah, something like that. And they're like, like the dynamite is old or something and unstable. So if it if they drop it, it's all over. Yeah. And so while there's this gunfight... Um, Don Nuss is trying his best not to drop the dynamite, but somehow the gold nugget gets dropped on Tim Conway's feet, and so he's trying to pick it up, pick up the nugget while also holding on to the dynamite, and hilarity ensues with that while they're getting shot at and everything else. Yeah, there's and, some good physical comedy in this part. Yes. Well, and in this whole movie, they're funny. And so finally, the leader of the gang just says, well, we're just going to go ahead and split. And they kidnap Celia. And they hop on the wagon that Tim Conway had commandeered for the getaway vehicle, which happens to be the fire truck wagon. Yeah, the fire wagon. And then we see um, Donovan do, like, the coolest, like, jump onto a horse ever i'm sure this has probably been done a hundred thousand times but i just wasn't <laughs> expecting him to like run at this horse and jump onto the saddle from behind the yeah. horse it was and, like whoa and so he takes off and dusty one-ups him with her stunt rider jumping and i'm trying to figure out if she was a stunt rider before she became a stagecoach driver and we get a chase scene. They love a chase scene with cars and with horses. Um, yes. And like the striking thing about this was like you, it was cutting between like real footage of them mm-hmm. on horses or whatever, probably some people on horses. And then the people like close ups of them. That's so obviously green screen. <laughs> like it just it made it funnier, I guess, just the kind of campiness of it. Yeah, and so I actually had written down at this point after the chase scene started, I have been waiting for Bill Bixby to turn into the Hulk during this movie because of the kid's (laughs) antic. Because you know he's just barely simmering with how many different things these kids have gotten themselves involved. Well, especially towards the beginning of the movie. Yeah. At this point, he cares about him. So yeah. you think he's going to hulk out over these dudes that, that kidnapped Celia, but there's no hulking. <laughs> and there was a sad Dan. Womp womp. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, so Donovan catches up to him, jumps on the fire truck. Somehow the fire truck goes off the edge of the road and onto... A very fast-moving like river? river that has Class 2 or Class 3 rapids, apparently, because they keep cutting back to it. 
These guys just keep fighting, and you can't hardly stand up in a Class 2 or a Class 3 Rapid, much less throw punches, wrap fire hoses around people's necks. And it's, once again, this is where you see the green screen being used for very bad effects. Yeah. It, the, <laughs> the, like, as some of them are still on the wagon, and they're fighting, and you can tell that there's just people, like, off screen throwing buckets of water mm-hmm. on them that's supposed to be like splashes from the river. Yeah. It's like choice bad special effects. I loved it. <laughs> and so it ends up with of course the Hulk being victorious. And so he knocks the guy down and Dusty comes and jumps on Donovan and kisses him. They're in the water smooching. And and they don't let him up for air. And then they do part. And then he goes in for the massive kiss. And so love has won in the end. (laughs) It's like funny because like you can there's the romantic tension between these two is like just barely there. Yeah. And then. They have this, like, very intense um, horse chase, I guess. <laughs> and, <laughs> and they save Celia, and then she, they are like, now's the time for romance. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then the bank blows up. <laughs> yeah. And so, while this chase has been happening, meanwhile, they're still... Somehow, people are reloading their guns, shooting, and there's... I don't know if there's people still firing inside the bank or if they're just trying to make sure that nobody's alive in the bank. And then suddenly you just hear, and we cut back to the bank and there's nothing left of the bank except for the safe. The safe. Well, and everyone's like, gold, gold. Now, are we supposed to think that the like nugget got blown up and everyone's grabbing that gold? Yes. Okay, that, well, that's I what. Wasn't so, clear. so therefore, the eighty-seven thousand dollar nugget is now no longer an eighty-seven thousand dollar singular nugget. Everybody gets about three dollars. Yes, every everyone gets their own gold nugget to be redeemed at the local mercantile to buy whatever you whatever piece of candy it is that you want. <laughs> and then we just see Mr. Clydesdale slip out of the back door of the bar <laughs> with two bottles of something in his back pocket and I start to worry about him just being a closet drunk he... that is not discussed at all in the movie no uh, it harkens it harkens um, it makes me think of uh, those Callaways although his alcoholism was clearly problematic in that movie but this like it's just almost like blink and you'll miss it because there's not a lot of attention drawn to this um so when i noticed it i think on the second time i watched i laughed so much because like he's trying to sneak out but like Mm -hmm. his jacket's kind of tucked in in a way that you so the audience can see it it's for us um just super funny. I like that, like how they played it, just kind of quietly. He's backing out, walking yeah. off, like through this chaos with his booze. 
tipping his hat. It's just funny. And so we transition to see the butterfly stage has been closed for remodeling and reorganization. And Dusty comes down in this beautiful gown that we have no clue how she afforded since there is no more $87,000 gold nugget. Yeah, okay. So I had some issues with this. Like, This is where you start having issues at the hour and 38 minute mark. Okay, because like, here's the deal. Dusty is like such a cool character. She's just like strong, independent woman, mm-hmm. like working her tail off. Um, I'm trying to think of like the word that I want to say. I don't think we can say on this podcast, but like she's like a tough lady. Are the is it abbreviated a B A B? Pretty much. Okay. Um, and like, we'll just let you at home figure it out on your own. Yeah. She's um she's a tough lady and um like wearing pants and like doing like whatever jobs she has it seemed like she had a couple different jobs mm-hmm. she was doing and like taking care of herself I mean her dad's there but like for the most part she's a strong independent woman mm-hmm. the only woman in the movie I, I think I don't I don't remember seeing another anyways well the, the there are other women oh yeah but. For- they're more worried about what can you do for yeah, me. Yeah. I kind of forgot about those ladies because, like, it's they're they get so little screen time and almost mm-hmm. no lines. So, like, she's the only like main female character besides Celia. She's tough, wearing pants, doing the stuff, taking care of herself, and like she falls in love with Donovan. And instantly is like a classy lady. Mm-hmm. Um, like I, I wish they hadn't done this. It was like oh, she, she comes down the stairs and it's kind of like that like teen movie reveal of the pretty girl who like got the makeover. And it's, I think you're supposed to be like excited because oh look she looks better. But I liked her so much the way she was. I wish they would have just let her be a tough lady. But I guess like if she's gonna be married to this guy. She's got to, like, play the part. I don't know. It, yeah. it was like, why did they do that? Well, it might be because every Disney movie needed a princess. I guess. Like, she's, like, sitting all pretty in her beautiful white dress and her um, parasol as they ride the wagon off. into. Oh, he, like, has all this money, buys a place for them. Yeah, because apparently the way that he came into the money was... Because he captured the notorious outlaw that nobody had heard about until um, two-thirds of the way into the movie. Yeah. Well, and, like, Wintel, do we know what happened to him? He's just nope. gone. Wintel, Wintel says you'll be hearing from my lawyer because now the gold's gone. And I don't even think the lawyer's there to say, well, you don't have anything to pay me with. So you don't have a lawyer. But... Yeah, so they ride off into the sunset only to be stopped by Amos and Theodore holding them up with their finger guns. This is cute, like, kind of funny, um, because, like, they're kind of outlaws, but because of their role in, like, helping the kids or whatever, now they get to be part of the family and they all ride off together. It's just cute the way they introduce the kids are like, this is our horse. And he's like, well, there's my horse or donkey or whatever he's got Mm -hmm. there. Um, just cute. Yeah. And then we get like 
the narrative song, like there was one in the beginning, I don't think we mentioned, but where it's like, here's the back, like here's the prologue song. And now here's the epilogue song that kind of gives like, here's how it played out. And then Celia's got to pee. Of course she does. I got to go. Because no one has taken her to the doctor to find out why she was peeing so much. Well, she hasn't been in a while. Allegedly. Yeah. They just didn't see it. So, um, yeah, that's that's the movie. It was cute. Like, I I had a rough start with this movie. <laughs> but I came to, like, as I was able to get into it, I decided that I really liked it. All right. Well, since we have heard the timer go off on Kyra's <laughs> phone. I was trying so hard to stop it. You're Sorry. fine. You're fine. Guys, it means our time is up. <laughs> Good night, everybody. <laughs> um, okay. Like, cause I know what you're about to ask. There was like one part in the beginning of this movie that, um, like made me laugh a little bit and I wrote it down almost word <laughs> for word. Um, so at the point where Donovan has agreed to accept the delivery of valuables, and then discovers that it's children and not like gold or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, he's trying to get out of it. And um, McCoy slash Potter from MASH is like, he lays out the rules of Quake City. Mm. And they are, you don't jump another man's claim. <laughs> the second one's my favorite. <laughs> you don't steal his wife, woman, mm. or whiskey. So he has mm-hmm. a wife and a woman and you can't steal either of them. Or his whiskey. And you don't strike a bargain and then entertain second thoughts about the matter. Like, those are pretty good rules to live by. Yeah, because you will end up on the wrong end of a hemp, of a hemp rope. Yes, that was the next part. So. Uh, I just, I thought that was funny, especially, like, don't steal his wife, his woman, or his whiskey. Yes. He gets both. Well, this is the 1800s. The morals were a little bit looser. Yeah, they sweep it under the rug. It's like yeah. you can do as long as as long as you don't talk about it, it's okay. <laughs> I guess. Yeah, you don't talk about that or Bruno, I guess. Alright. Is there anything else that we need to cover before we sweep that eighty seven thousand dollar gold nugget back up into its box? Um I don't think so. Besides just saying like Tim Conway and Don Knotts, like they're they weren't really they just kind of had their own little side plot going like almost their own separate little movie going on in the background of this movie and it um it was just super fun like it's just the what they added to it made it really really great okay well we are back on our normal schedule so that means that we have the three questions which are all important the first one is what is today's impact on this movie um, I think they did this again, set in the same time period. Mm-hmm. They, I mean, I'm sure they find some way to diversify the cast. Um, but beyond that, I, I can't really imagine what they do differently. I hope they wouldn't do that much differently because it's pretty cute. Honestly. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, we wouldn't have to. Honestly, the thing that you mentioned right at the very end of Dusty coming down in the gown, mm-hmm. that would probably not be done because she has been her own woman for the entire show. Yeah, she changed real like it was too quick. I think that's what was so jarring. Um, and 
not upsetting, but like just like, huh? That's in, right. in fact, if they would remake this, I could probably see them changing it so that instead of Donovan, Dusty's the one that ends up with a kid. Oh yeah, that'd be cool. And then she's a modern woman. She doesn't want to deal with kids, and she's trying to pan them off, and she yeah. has to find somebody to to do things without the marital innuendos, as it is. Yeah. And then we probably so, so seen that, that movie before. And like, so then we wouldn't have to worry about her actually coming down the steps in the gown at the end because. She's still her own woman. They're they have the money, and everyone lives happily ever after. Yeah, I like that. That'd be a good movie. I'd watch it. All right. Well, is this movie mirrored in culture? I don't think so. I mean, besides the sequels. Sequels, plural. There are more than one. I don't know if the others, because I think Don. I think it was written that Don Knotts and Tim Conway were the only two. With the exception of the kids that came back for the sequels. For the first sequel, they didn't even come back for the second. I don't think. Give me one moment. Let me... Yeah. In the Tales of the Apple Dumpling Gang, it was Ed Begley Jr. and Artie Johnson playing Tim Conway and Don Nonsense. Okay, so I... So the kids are in this first sequel? Uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, hold on, let me see. Maybe recast. Bill Bixby, Susan Clark, and the rest of the cast did not... Oh, okay. So we had a whole new Apple Dumpling Gang, it looks like. Uh-huh. We didn't even have the same Celia. Well, okay, so here's what's confusing. The Apple Dumpling Gang, the phrase the Apple Dumpling Gang, is applied to the children. Yeah. So then we take... They were just using the title as a vehicle for the other mm-hmm. movie. Because um, the Apple Dumpling Gang is the kids. Theodore and Amos have their own, like, goofy little gang name that they're using. So that's kind of interesting that they made that choice. Yeah, it it's kind of like, I think the they're like the wet bandits from the Home Alone guys. Yeah. Because they ended up changing their names as the movies went on too. So, but yeah, for some reason I thought that the kids were all back. No, we got it. We got a whole new Apple Dumpling Gang in the Apple Dumpling Gang rides again, which is definitely not as good of a movie. But we will be covering that in probably three to four months because it's there at the end of the seventy. When I saw the title, the Apple Dumpling Gang rides again, I thought. Of Herbie Rides Again and how oh, Lord. Herbie wasn't in the movie. So I guess it makes sense that they, like, yeah. like the main characters aren't in this movie, but we're using the same title. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess you can just put Rides Again at the end of whatever movie title and it makes Yeah, sure. Well, Captain America Winter Soldier Rides Again. I actually watched that. Or I, I'm just like think I just like pulled out what the first movie title I could think of. <laughs> and added rides again. Dumbo rides again. No. Uh, don't don't don't. We're we're gonna have to cover the live action, and I know I'm gonna be balling at that one too. Ooh, so I haven't seen it. Um, okay. Well, it does have Colin Farrell in it. 
Um, I was going to say something else, but like it's an equally depressing, sad movie. So let's see. Let's see. Robin Hood rides again. That's better. <laughs> oh, were, were you going to say the happiest millionaire rides again? No, I was going to say Fox and the Hound, but that movie is so sad at the end. Well, you do know they made a Fox and the Hound too. I haven't seen it. We're like, I got us off track. Let's, let's get this uh, minecart back on the rails. All right. Third and final question. How does this fit into today's society? I don't know that it does. Well, I mean, the way that I would see it is you have people that are greedy. You have people that all that they are caring about is themselves. And when somebody else is thrust into their situation, they tried their best to move them out so that way they can get back to their own ways and you don't it doesn't always work the way that you think that it's supposed to or am i thinking way too far out of the box no i think that's good i was just thinking like wow that's that's really deep and i'm like oh it doesn't because (laughs) i don't know because i've never heard of it anywhere else (laughs) Uh, but no that makes a lot of sense now i'm like man i should I should give this some more thought. And you know what? I just thought of that as, as we were going over the questions. That wasn't even something that was written. Down. So working with kids makes you think. <sighs> All right. Well, we are going to wrap this up because as usual, we spend an hour talking about an hour and 30 minute movie, which God only knows what would happen if we would have spent the amount of time that the happiest millionaire was on the air talking about it. We'd still be talking about it. Oh my gosh. Okay, at some point you had given me a hard time for constantly bringing that movie up, but I think you, like, <laughs> oh, no, I think it was those Callaways you mentioned. No, you mentioned Happiest Millionaire in the last episode, too. I'm wanting for people to go back and listen to the worst movie that we have ever watched and see that there are bad movies that we will re- take on. Not everything is happy and Tim Conway esque. Uh, yeah, just yeah. <laughs> yeah and yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm running out of yes, I guess. Okay. Well, um if you stuck around for more than an hour with us, we appreciate it. We do like to hear from our listeners. I know we've had a few listeners come in lately that we haven't had before so go back and listen to our catalog of over a hundred episodes i think this is episode 119 or somewhere around there drop us an email you can actually email us every time that you get through an episode if you want we may actually just take an entire episode and do nothing but email the email address is bekindrewinddmp at gmail.com As always, the DMP stands for Disney Plus Movie Podcast. You can also rate us and review us on however you are listening to us right now. And we also always give you homework. Sometimes the movies aren't as fun to watch as this one. I actually don't know anything about the next movie on our list. It is The Treasure of Metacombe, and I'm probably butchering that last word. As Kyra is looking at me with a very weird face. I'm like, the what of what? The treasure of Metacombe. Is that real? It is, yes, it has actually started popping up on my You Might Be Interested In, which is really weird. 
It was released a... Hold on. It was actually released on the same day a year later as the Apple Dumpling Day. Interesting. So we are into the late 70s. Never. This is going to be fun. I have no idea what we're going (laughs) to Okay. Well, that's your homework. Like I said, I know nothing about it, so I can't tell you if it's good, if it's bad, if it's a snooze fest, if it's a action roller rink, or whatever. So until we talk again, stay safe, stay hungry, and try not to rob a bank with old dynamite. <laughs> Bye, y'all. Thank you for listening. You can send us feedback at BeKindRewindDMP at gmail.com. We welcome any kind of feedback, and it might get read on the air in a future podcast. Once again, the email address is BeKindRewindDMP at gmail.com. If you have a moment, please rate and review our podcast on whatever streaming service you are listening to us on. This and word of mouth are the two ways to help us reach a larger audience. Thank you in advance for doing this. Thank you again for listening, and we hope you have a great day. Goodbye. Well, they saddled up in Boston, still wet behind the ears, and they made their way across the wild frontier. As they sought their fame and fortune, their legend up and sprang, and they soon became the Apple Dumpling Gang. And they crawled them the Apple Dumpling Gang. Sang about the prison bar.